Do you ever wonder why we go through this exact same process every single year? We celebrate the ball drop on December 21st and celebrate irrationally that the old year is gone and now the blank slate of a new year sits in front of us and this year everything's going to be different. And then we go through the process of either formally or informally making New Year's resolutions. This is how I'm going to be different than I was last year. We've gone through this whole process as a church through the month of January. In this series called Hitting Refresh, how am I going to refresh my relationship with God and my relationship with the people who I rub shoulders with every day, the people I love the most? How am I going to press refresh in my relationship with my friendships and in my relationship with the church? How is this year going to be different? That's why we do it. Even though most years, by the end of January, middle of February, all of those commitments have somehow faded into the background and disappeared. We do it every single year because, as they say in baseball, hope springs eternal. We live with this perpetual optimistic hope that this year I will get to live more of the life that I've always wanted than I ever have before. That's why, frankly, we challenged everyone in our community to engage with the Sermon on the Mount, the, the summary of Jesus' teaching about life every single day this month. Because to be honest, this whole series and the Sermon on the Mount in particular is a snapshot of the kind of life that God is inviting us into in 2021. It is an invitation from Jesus to all of us to live the God life, the God blessed life in 2021, like we never have before. And so we thought in order to wrap up this series called Pressing Refresh, we would just spend one morning focusing exclusively on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, on the snapshot that Jesus provides of what a God-blessed life looks like so that we can experience God's blessing in our life in 2021 like we never have before. And so I'm just going to spend our time this morning going through the Sermon on the Mount and summarizing what Jesus says about the life that God blesses. And we're going to break it into four sections. In the first section, the intro to the sermon, Jesus basically says this, the God-blessed life radiates the beauty of Jesus. Jesus begins with a snapshot of what the God-blessed life looks like. And honestly, it doesn't look like anything we would have ever expected. Normally for us, when we see someone who is super spiritual or super religious at a level we haven't attained, or we see someone who has it all together, whose family's working right, whose life seems to be working, we see people who are, who are strong, people who are powerful, and we think, man, God has really blessed that person's life. They have no problems. God must really be blessing their life. But that's not what Jesus says at all. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the translation we read earlier, it says this, Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well-suited for ordinary people. 
Jesus says the life that God blesses isn't for the super spiritual and people who have it together. It's for ordinary people who are broken and weak and even mistreated and oppressed, that God's heart reaches out to those people and invites them into a life that chooses mercy instead of being bullies, that chooses integrity instead of hypocrisy, that chooses to build others up rather than tearing things down, regardless of the personal cost. Jesus says that's the life that God blesses. And that kind of life radiates, it shines the beauty of Jesus into the darkness of the world. In Matthew 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your father who is in heaven. The house I grew up in was built on the southern shore of Lake Ontario. Our backyard uh, ended in a hill that stopped at the waterfront. And there were many nights growing up when, after the sun had gone down on a clear night, I would stare from the darkness of my bedroom into the darkness outside. And I would just see the city of Toronto lit up on the horizon. You couldn't miss it. It was all you could see. It dominated the night sky and you could just sit and stare at the beauty of it. Jesus says that's what people's lives are like when they live the life that God blesses. What Jesus says, you know, is uh, the life that is overflowing in abundance, a life that is genuinely and deeply happy in Christ. This life shines out into the darkness of the world. It draws people's attention. People just marvel at the beauty of this life that stands out in the world. But it's not just the beauty of it. In the ancient world, if you were a traveler alone at night and you came around the corner and saw a city lit up on a hill, your heart would leap with joy and with hope. Because in the ancient world, traveling alone in the dark was the most dangerous activity that a regular person could engage in. And here you were lonely and tired and surrounded by danger on every side. But there is this city drawing you in, beckoning you home. And you would experience this joy and this hope of knowing that soon you would be enveloped in this safety and refuge. You would be fed and rested and everything was going to be okay because this life was going to to wrap itself around your life. A traveler would see a city on a hill and praise God for all of the good things that meant for them. And Jesus says that's exactly the way that it is for people who live the Jesus life, the life God blesses. Their life shines in the darkness and it wraps itself around people and draws them in, filling them with joy and hope because they're going to experience peace and refuge and safety and strength. So what kind of life is this God-blessed life that radiates the beauty of Jesus? Well, Jesus says this, the God-blessed life flows from a transformed heart. And this is what it says in Matthew 5 verse 20. I say to you, that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness, even of the legal experts and Pharisees, you'll never even enter the kingdom of heaven. 
The, the thing about the, the God-blessed life is that it flows from a transformed heart. It's not this religious display, right? It's, it's deeper and more genuine than this sort of self-righteous, hypocritical, rule-following way of being religious, Right, this kind of mentality that says, well, I'm a good person. I didn't murder anybody. I haven't slept around. I was technically telling the truth. No, no, it's, it's a transformation of heart that penetrates deeper than just being religious and following rules. It's a heart that loves people so much that you're devoted to reconciliation rather than carrying grudges. A heart that loves people so much that they respect people instead of ogling them and lusting after them. That they'll stay faithful to relationships instead of walking away when things get hard. It's a heart so filled with love that you're devoted to being honest instead of manipulative, generous instead of vengeful, and loving instead of hateful, even with people who hate you. It's a transformation of heart that shows up in how you do religion, how you practice your spirituality. People who live the Jesus life, they don't you know, pray and give and practice spiritual practices like fasting or Bible reading or worship in order to impress God or impress themselves or impress people around. They don't do it to, to gain a reputation of being spiritual or to earn points or try and deserve God's love. No, 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 no. It comes from a transformation of heart. It's not posted to social media for praise and recognition and, you know, make a big deal of it. It, it gives secretly just because your heart is broken for the poor. It prays quietly for God's love to infiltrate your life and the world. It practices its spirituality privately simply because it wants to be changed. It wants to be more like Jesus. The God-blessed life starts with a transformed heart, but then it shows itself in a transformed life. Jesus goes on to say, the God-blessed life is devoted to loving God. Um, that's where it shows up in people's lives, is that you love God in particular, more than everything else, and in particular, more than you and I love our stuff. Jesus knows that our stuff is a huge stumbling block for us. And so he says in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. See, the, the truth is this, that you can either love God and use money or you can use God and love money, but those are your options. And the more your heart is devoted to loving God, the more important God becomes, the more of your heart space God takes up, the less of your heart space there is for anything else, including your money. N not that it's wrong to love other things, to love your family, to love your friends, whatever. All of that is a part of the God life, but it, become, it becomes true about your life because you love God first. So Jesus' people love God and use money. They don't use God because they love 
money, for Jesus' people, in the life that God blesses, money simply becomes one more tool to use to see God's love flood our lives and our communities and the world. And that's it. Jesus' people don't care whether or not they have money or how much money they have. Now, I know that's easier for some people to say than others. For some people, the question when it comes to money is how much can I get? But for other people, maybe even in the wake of 2020, the question is more, what if there's not enough? And Jesus knows that people who don't love and pursue money, who aren't stockpiling money, are eventually going to have to confront that question. And so he follows it up by saying this, therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, I know that among people who aren't stockpiling money, among people who don't care ultimately about money. And by the way, that doesn't mean be irresponsible. Be responsible with what God is given you, just be responsible to use it for God's kingdom. But if you don't care about stockpiling money, eventually the question comes, well, what if I don't have enough? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. If you are living a life that is so obsessed with being fully devoted to God, that you're using your stuff to see God's love flood people's lives and to flood the world, you won't have to worry about money because God will take care of you. Now, I want to say when Jesus says, don't worry, he's not minimizing anxiety that I know some of us struggle with. He's not poo-pooing, you know, especially clinical anxiety that requires medication and therapy or both. Like, he's not talking about that. He's talking about being so obsessed with money that we worry ourselves sick about whether we'll have enough. And Jesus says, here's the thing. If you live a life that is obsessed with being fully devoted to loving God, you just worry about seeing God's kingdom come in the world. God's love flood your life and your community and the world. You worry about whether your relationship with God is filled with love and your relationship with yourself and your relationship with the people around you and your relationship with society and with the marginalized and with your enemies and with the planet. You make sure that there is a rightness to your relationships. You worry about that. And you let God worry about whether or not you have enough to get by. If you love God enough to worry about his kingdom, God will love you enough to worry about making sure that you have enough. That's what a God-blessed life looks like. It focuses its energy on loving God and loving the world and lets God take care of it. It manifests in your love for God. Finally, Jesus says the God-blessed love life is devoted to loving others. And he talks about two ways in particular. The first is he says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. He focuses on judgmentalism. It's interesting that when Jesus wants to make the point that we ought to love others, the first thing he focuses on is how judgmental we are. See, judgmentalism is the opposite of love. 
right? Judgmentalism decides that I am so important and so worthy that I am capable of judging that everyone else is worth less than me. And it looks down on everybody. Love is the opposite. Love is committed to believing that everyone else is worth more than me. And so committing itself to be a servant and to pour out mercy and grace on everyone in abundance, and that's all. Because Jesus says, whatever you pour out on others, that's what will be poured out on you by God and probably by others too. If all you do is judge others then you can expect that you will receive judgment in return. But if all you do is love people with mercy and grace, then you can expect from God and from your community around you that what most people will return is mercy and grace, that you get back what you put out in the world. So think about what you want others to do for you and do that. In fact, that's where Jesus ends the sermon, not just with judgmentalism, but with self-centeredness. This is how we summarize the whole sermon in verse 12 of chapter 7. He says, therefore, you should treat people in the same way you want people to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. Jesus says, here's, here's the summary of everything I've been saying. I said this a couple weeks ago. The only way to measure your the degree of your devotion to God is by looking at how much you love people, period. That is the only measurement there is. There's no other way to talk about or to understand or to look at how faithfully you are loving God than to look at how much you love people. And Jesus said, this is, and this is the whole thing. Just do for everybody else what you wish someone did for you. So think back to January 1st to your dreams for 2021, for everything you wanted this year to be, for everything you hoped would come true of your life in the next 12 months. And now commit yourself for this entire year to doing that for everybody else, for loving other people in the ways that you would want to be loved, for blessing other people in the ways that you would hope to be blessed for taking care of other people in the ways that you hope God would take care of you. Because that's the deal. That the God-blessed life starts with a transformed heart that increasingly is committed to loving God with everything we have rather than loving our stuff and committed to loving everybody else instead of judging them and selfishly serving ourselves. Jesus says, if you do that, here's how the sermon ends. Everyone who's heard these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. Jesus says, you learn to live this way out of a transformed heart that loves God and loves people. And no matter what life throws at you, you will stand strong. Certainly in 2020, the rain fell and the floods came and the wind beat against our houses and the murder hornets made nests above our front doors. But Jesus says, no matter what 2021 has in store, 
you commit yourself to building your life on these teachings of Jesus, be throwing yourself at Jesus to live the God life that transforms your heart to love God and to love people, no matter what happens, your, the house of your life will stand strong. And not only that, it'll shine out in the world. Imagine if the world could look at us as people and us as a community and see a community that is not filled with religious rule keepers and religious hypocrites who still love their stuff and judge everybody else and care only about themselves. But instead, what they saw was a transformed people who love God with everything they have and love everyone else instead of loving themselves. That life would shine out in the darkness and fill people with awe and inspire hope and joy. And it would draw people in, hoping that we would wrap our life, the life of Jesus, around them so they could experience it too and praise God. That's the God-blessed life that you are being invited into.